Our gracious Lord, once again, we're thankful for opportunities like this to be reminded of your greatness and to hear of your great promises that are made to us. And we know that these promises are sure in Christ, the resurrected one. And so we rest in him and we take great delight in him. Help us now as we turn to your word to learn from you so that we might see Jesus uh, more appropriately, so that we might live our lives with hope and encouragement like we haven't before. In Jesus' name, amen. To begin by stating the obvious, man, we are busy. If you don't like that, boy, are we busy. Work, school, family, that's enough to wear me out. If that's not enough, fitness, recreation, hobbies, community involvement. If that's not enough, there's the ever so important social media that keeps us busy. If that's not enough, there's the ever so important entertainment that keeps us busy. And if you're a Christian, add to those things that keep you busy and you add to that the reality of what's happening here. The priority that the Bible gives to and calls Christians to gather together for corporate worship. Not only that, Christians are called to serve one another in the body of Christ. And by now, I'm about at my wit's end. I don't know about you. I, I, my, my favorite word seems to be, Ugh, you know, U-G-H, I think is how you spell that. I don't know, but it, it's overwhelming. It's like, I don't know how to do all the things I may, I'm called to do. I can't do all of these things. And it becomes an art in, in ball dropping. You know, which balls am I going to drop? Well, I'm not here today to play life coach. Um, I'm not your life coach. I'm not going to help you try to figure out how to organize your schedule and be more effective. And I'm sure you could find a church to do that in this morning. We're not going to do that. Um, I'm a Christian pastor, so I'm going to do my best to at least remind you of what priority number one is. Priority number one. If we can at least be soberly reminded of priority number one, we've at least won the war. There might be a lot of battles along the way, and maybe you need a life coach for that. Um, but as a pastor, priority number one is what we're going to focus on this morning so that we can at least have that fixed in our minds. And to do that, we can turn to Jesus and what he says. We can turn to Jesus. That would be, that would be enough. Uh, but also what he says in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, let's have this be a great, hopefully more than, but let's have it be a great exercise in, in recalibrating, uh, reorienting, reorienting ourselves toward priority number one, and then we'll have to deal with the rest. But Jesus interacts with two of his followers, Mary and Martha. And in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, we, we see him interact with Mary and Martha, and we learn about priority number one, among other things. And so if you'd follow along with me, I'll read aloud verses 38 to 42 of the gospel according to Luke. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, 
you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There are several really good things for us to learn from that. But number one is no doubt most important. Number one is most important because no doubt it's the overall point that we're supposed to see. So let's start there. Number one, first important thing we need to see there, Jesus and His Word are our ultimate priority. Jesus and His Word are our ultimate priority. So we're going to learn several things, but let's learn that first and foremost. Priority number one is none other than Jesus Christ and His Word. It's got to be at the top. It's the ultimate portion. It's the ultimate meal is what He's getting at. And we'll, we'll talk about that, but that's fascinating how it's a meal kind of context. And the ultimate meal, the meal that's going to last is the one that we see Mary participating in and she has no food in her mouth. It's Christ and it's His Word. Do notice in verse 42, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Ultimate priority. Surely that doesn't... Jesus is not saying, uh, in, in, in a bigger context, we know He's not saying there's nothing else important in life. We know that he's not saying that. We're, we're going to see that serving is important. Serving is a Christian virtue. Hospitality is a Christian virtue. They're not even options. But for strength of emphasis, he makes the point clear and he says there's one thing as if to say priority number one. She's got it. She's got it. And what is it? Well, it's pretty obvious from verse 39 and we've already stated it. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. And so it's Jesus. It's Jesus and His Word, inseparable from one another. It's really impossible to separate the two. It's it's Jesus. And Jesus isn't just the babe in the manger who says nothing. Jesus isn't just the babe in His mother's arms and she does all the talking. Um, Jesus is is the God who speaks, the God-man who speaks so that we can know who He really is. We can know who we really are. It's simple, and yet it's profound. Why is it priority number one? Let's, let's tease that out a little bit. Why, why would this be number one? Why is it important for Martha and Mary to both know that Mary's in the right and, and Martha's skewed when it comes to priorities? And if we're going to apply this, and we will, why, why, why would we say priority number one for us is Jesus Christ in His Word? Let's tease that out a little bit, acknowledging first and foremost because of who He is. It's even used in our passage. She's at the Lord's feet. He's addressed as the Lord, even by the one who gets it wrong. And even though we're we're often not thinking in these terms, that's deliberately connected to the Old Testament. When we hear Jesus referred to as Lord, it's probably not like, oh, sir. It can be used that way, but, but there's a direct correlation that carries over from the Old Testament. We're talking about none other than God. The Lord is addressed in the Old Testament. We're, when we're seeing Him, it's, it's none other than Yahweh, the one true God. And, and if Jesus really is, and the Jews knew He was claiming this, that's why they wanted to kill Him. If He really and truly is 
more than a mortal, it makes all the sense in the world for you and for me and for Martha and for Mary to say, priority number one. So functionally, sometimes we forget about who He is. If If we really believe that, and we do as Christians... Martha and Mary really did, but one, one is forgotten. If he's God, and this God speaks, and he's graciously speaking to us, and he's made himself known so that we can understand him, so much so he's become one of us, priority number one, riveted attention on him and what he has to say about himself. That's what makes it priority number one. It's who He is. I was tempted to call this sermon, Be Still and Know That Jesus is God. From Psalm 46, Be Still and Know That I Am God. Well, you could put that right in Jesus' mouth. Be Still and Know That I Am God. Listen. Pay attention. Hang on every word. Maybe another reason why it would be priority number one is because of who Jesus is, but it's priority number one even because of what God's good law says. This may seem a little, I don't know if obtuse is the right word or not. It may seem a little um, obscure or unclear, but let, let, let me help you see how clear it is. Priority number one for Martha and Mary because of what the good law of God says. And here's the dots I want to connect and help you to see if you haven't seen it already. In our passage, in our context, specifically verses 25 to 28, we, we heard the law of God articulated to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, with all, all of those things, and then to love your neighbor as yourself in verse 27. We heard that earlier on. Jesus acknowledges that in his interaction with the lawyer And then what did we see? We saw an illustration of the second greatest commandment. Who's my neighbor? And I would suggest to you that it's no accident or coincidence. That now we're seeing an illustration, if you will, a fleshing out, if you will, of the first greatest commandment. Jesus is none other than God. And He used to be loved with heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't think it's an accident that this is here at all. Mary is getting it. She's getting it here. Did she get it perfectly? No, we could talk about that theologically and all that jazz. But it it makes the point. We've learned about the neighbor thing, and now we're learning about the God thing. And and it's as if all of a sudden you go, wow, that's pretty amazing. I wish I was the first one to come up with it, but I read somebody else, and they pointed it out. And I thought, duh! This is awesome. Who's God? Who's my neighbor? Who's God? Well, it's none other than Jesus. And if it's really true, we give Him all of our devotion. We listen, sit at His feet, act Mary-like. Another reason why it's number one priority because of its, of its value to us. Think about the value to us. To... to, to to be like Mary and to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to what He says and, and to be there as a disciple, the value to us. Well, it's spelled out what the value to us is in verse 42. If you look there again, Mary has chosen, Jesus says in verse 42, Mary has chosen the good portion. 
All of you foodies, he's using foodie terminology. Okay? He's chosen the good piece, the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. She's chosen the best piece. She's chosen the best portion. And what makes it the best piece? What makes it the best portion? He tells us, he spells it out in verse 42. It won't be taken away. Think of the dinner party kind of context. Who knows how elaborate or how common it was. But you're getting ready and you're serving and Jesus is there and we've got to make sure the falafel's ready and all that kind of business. And and here we are. Let me tell you something, Jesus says to Martha. Mary chose the best piece. Why is that? She's listening to my word. It makes me think of John chapter 6 where Peter says, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And then we learn in that context that uh, we, we, we therefore we devour them. We devour Jesus, not literally or in some kind of a weird way, but, but, it, but it, we embrace Him. Just like she's not literally eating Jesus in this context, but she's listening to those words of eternal life and she's taking them in like their food. And that kind of food is the kind of food, as it says in verse 42, that will not be taken away. I love it. It's the value to her. That's what makes it priority number one. It lasts forever. Talk about priorities and all the things we prioritize that won't last forever. Here's one that will last forever for her. It's why everything else is just kind of blur. You know, you go blurry vision and you just focus in on that one other thing. Maybe another good passage to recall, not just John 6, 68, but is that uber important famous verse Deuteronomy 8.3, quoted by Jesus in the Gospels. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Huh. Yep. And here is Jesus the God-man, instructing, teaching. And Mary's got the right priority. Life. Need life. It's exceptional. It's a great thing to see. It's no wonder so many Christians are so drawn to this passage and, 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 and can learn so much from this. The meal comes from God, it's a lasting meal, and it's Jesus offering Himself. How can we learn from this? We can learn that Christianity is about Christ before it's about anything else. Before it's about serving in the name of Christ, which is good and important, it's about Christ, right? We can learn from it because we can, we can ask haunting, horrible questions like, what do you love in life? What causes you to have everything else blur out and just focus on that one thing? And what, what do you love most in life? I hate these kind of questions. But they're the important kinds of questions. You know, it's time to, to, to get in touch with your inner Martha and get rid of her. <laughs> What's it look like for us? This is maybe a little bit more challenging. What's it look like for us? If we're going to say, all right, we see the point. What's it look like in our life? Jesus has ascended. 
He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word. So what's it look like for us? We're in a different kind of setting. We're not in this exact setting. If this is really true, by the way, that's the question you want answered. You're saying, okay, tell me, how do I do this? And again, to be a little haunting and a little, to be a little um, prodding uh, and bothersome, if you're not asking that question like, okay, come on, you've got to push rewind and go back to the beginning and say, who is it? We should be saying, all right, I'm ready. I, I need to know how this happens. And, and we could start by saying, well, we read the Bible. Right? That's a priority. You read the psalmist and, and he's hiding God's word in his heart. He, he's not just reading the Bible. He's taking it in and, and, and it's like he's, he's, he's devouring it. And we could say, that, that's, that's right. We have the word of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. Absolutely. And I'm going to make a huge priority of that because I want to learn from Jesus. He's not here, but he didn't leave us as orphans. He gave us his spirit. And so I want to make priority number one, Jesus Christ. And I want to make priority number one, what he said, so I can have communion with him. Devotion is what I mean by that. But lots of other Christians have not stopped there. And I don't want to stop there either. I mention that just because I want you to at least understand that I'm not the first person to come up with this. In good company, lots of other Christians have not stopped there. For the last couple thousand years, plenty of Christians, both living now and living before us, have said, we do this not only when we read the, Bibles ourse- the Bible ourselves, but when we hear the Word of God proclaimed. We do this when we're together with the people of God and the Word of God is faithfully preached. There's a unique thing that happens that makes some of us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because I'm a preacher and it sounds self-serving and I don't know how to get out of this one. It makes some of us uncomfortable because we think, well, I think preaching is just a Bible study. Well, many, many Christians haven't thought that. I don't think that. I think preaching is more than just a Bible study. I think there's a tremendous emphasis in the Bible on the importance of Scripture for us personally, but there's a tremendous emphasis in the Scripture of the Scripture being not just read, but proclaimed and heard. And then you see an emphasis in a church context where the people of God gather and there is the proclamation of the Word of God. One of the ways, at least we have to say, I think, that we worship Christ and we hear from Christ is through faithful exposition, proclamation of, through, of His Word. A passage that's helped me with this is Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 comes to us in a context of no more stuff. Okay? You don't have the temple. You don't have any of those things anymore. If you're a Christian, you've left Judaism behind. You've seen that all of that was in anticipation of Jesus who's going to be the true atoning sacrifice. And you're having a rough go of it because you don't have any of the smells and bells anymore. Okay, What you end up having if you're a, a 
first century Christian from a Jewish background, those who are addressed in the book of Hebrews is, you know, you have other believers. Um, at least somebody's got a Bible, at least in part. And you gather for worship and maybe, maybe even outside you can, you can, you can hear the sounds if you're in Jerusalem. It's the right time of year especially. And what do you have? A Bible? Maybe a preacher? You kind of got nothing. And you're feeling the draw of going back. Hebrews 2, that's just a little context of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Seems to be talking about Jesus there. He's not ashamed to call them brothers. He claims us as his own. Verse 12, uh, it says, saying. So this is putting these words in the mouth of Jesus. I will tell of your name to my brothers. This is Jesus telling of God, teaching of God, if you will, to his brothers. Those who he's purchased. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And both things are happening, I think, in the midst of the congregation. Which I think is getting at the point that while we have nothing, we have Christ because we have the Spirit of Christ. So personally that in the midst of the congregation, He's the one teaching. It's kind of interesting. He's singing too. We're not talking about that necessarily this morning. There's something unique. You say, I don't know if I could believe that because that sounds magical. It's not magical, it's spiritual. You have nothing, but don't you dare go back to your old religious system where you have smells and bells because you have nothing. Ha! You have Jesus. Jesus telling of God amidst the congregation. And now all of a sudden, my, my commitment to, to loving, because I love to hear the exposition of the Word of God, maybe even uh, has greater explanation as to why I love to hear it. There's something unique, there's something extraordinary, even if the guy up front isn't extraordinary. Something special. It seems to be one of the reasons why Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous, for some of you, medical doctor who turned preacher um, in, in England uh, a generation or so ago, for a long time, didn't want his sermons recorded. He didn't want people listening to recordings of his sermons. Eventually, he was convinced to have them recorded. I'm thankful to listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones' preaching. But it was because of this this at least in part, this view of there's something unique, extraordinary about the preaching of the Word of God amidst the congregation, and we don't want people to somehow replace that with something that it's not. I think there's something unique and special. I think it's how today we do this, post-ascension, how we if you will, sit at the feet of Jesus and have Him be priority number one, the good portion, the best piece. I think it's the best thing I have in life. 
I wish I could say this every time I hear good exposition. I wish I could say every single time it's been the best experience of my life. But I have vivid memories of certain times at least, and, and hopefully you do too, of sitting there and it's like everything goes blurry and, and, and not literally but figuratively. I don't think about anything else and, and I'm just hearing about the glories and the grandeur and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's like time stops. I know at least on one occasion with some of you who are in this room, it's like we're tapping each other on the shoulder. And it wasn't because of some great orator or a famous person speaking. There was just something unique and extraordinary about it. And then you're thinking, this is all, Jesus Christ is awesome. He's grand. Maybe just one more thing about history when it comes to this. According to the Second Helvetic Confession, how many of you read that this morning for your devotions? Um, it's a, a confession is something Christians agreed to. This is old. The second Helvetic Confession. Agreed upon summary of the Christian faith adopted by Reformation churches during the mid-1500s in Switzerland, Scotland, Hungary, France, and Poland. So not just a, a little sliver. Pretty, pretty broad. Here's how it describes preaching. This will make you uncomfortable maybe. Preaching is defined quote-unquote the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. I'm not ready to change the doctrinal statement of Omaha Bible Church to have it say that. But I think I know what they're getting at. And maybe in their context with greater understanding of things as to what is meant and not meant, they could pull it off and we couldn't. But nevertheless, it's a great illustration of how some believers, at least who've gone before us, have seen the significance of the preaching of the Word of God. It's not just a Bible study. There's something unique. There's something extraordinary Talk about a high view of preaching. I'm so thankful that we can know what priority number one is. It's Jesus Christ and His revelation of Himself. I'm thankful it doesn't depend upon a weak, sinful preacher. But I am also thankful that weak, sinful preachers at times give clear exposition of the Word of Christ and it warms and stirs and moves my soul and it's worshipful. And if you're not there, I'm praying right now that you could be there and sense something of, of what it's like to sense that in this Ascension era. Let's move to something else we can learn. That's, that's the most important thing. Priority number one for us has got to be Jesus Christ. It's got to be His, His Word. That means I'm going to read it. That means I want to be involved in hearing the Word of God proclaimed. I want to hear it faithfully exposited. I want that to be a priority for me so it can help me know who Jesus is. But now let's move to number two. We learn that even the best things can distract us. We learn that even the best things 
can distract us. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? In verse 38, Martha welcomed him into her house. Uh, Talk about a great thing. That's the right thing, no doubt. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Those aren't just good things. Those are vital things, right? Not to take the time to do it, but, but hospitality is given a priority in the New Testament. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's, it's, it's an imperative. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, uh, those who are leading in the church have to be hospitable and no doubt they're showing everybody else that this is a Christian priority. 1 Peter 4, 9 shows hospitality to one another without grumbling. And not only is hospitality a priority in the New Testament, it's a good thing serving one another is a priority in the New Testament. It's a good thing, just as this woman is serving. Galatians 5.13, 1 Peter 4.10, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. There's no question these are priorities for us. Therefore, we don't have the option of saying, I want to be like Mary. Therefore, I am going to join a monastery. Right? You see why people do this kind of thing. You have whole orders of people doing monastic life based upon our passage. But don't, don't take our passage out of context. It's a good thing. In fact, it's a right thing. We, we, there's so, in so many ways, I would love to just go hide and be a hermit. But, but we're not given the option because we have so much emphasis in Scripture about the one another's and we're involved in each other's lives. But those good things can eclipse the ultimate thing. And so we're seeing that here in our kind of context. Priorities can become the priority, and we just don't want that to become the case. Number three, we learned that loss of priority is ugly and dangerous. We learned that loss of priority is ugly and dangerous. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Again, the good thing she's doing, it's, it's serving. That's good. That's a Christian virtue, but she's distracted. Well, she's distracted. We know in our context, right? She's distracted from Jesus. That, you know, it's like, what's the point of Christianity? Um, And then verse 40 goes on to say, and she went up to him. Here's where it gets ugly. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? I mean, just stop there for a second. Lord, do you not care? Now, given our context, I take it he's teaching and I take it she interrupts him. And he's probably not teaching about some thing that would be inconsistent with what he's been teaching so far. So he's talking about something important. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? That's ugly and dangerous. Here's how I kind of try to play it out uh, drama-wise. Uh, excuse me, uh, Jesus, uh, Lord, I know that you're talking about things that will matter forever. Things like uh, the glory that was yours in eternity past, about your redemptive plan, about your kingdom, about your coming substitutionary atoning death and resurrection. But I wonder if you even care. I mean, if she doesn't get over here real soon, the falafel's going to burn. Or how about this? I know you came to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many and all, but I'm serving alone, can't you see? And you go, that is just, it is, it's just ridiculous. It's just ludicrous, it's crazy. What what is this woman thinking? 
she, she's lost touch with reality. She has lost touch with reality. And just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. Now she's going to tell Jesus what to do. Verse 40. Now it's an imperative. It's a command. Tell her then to help me. How about that? What a con- it's, You see right here, we do contradict ourselves. Lord, you tell her to help me. I'm Lord. And so you see, this is ugly and confusing and dangerous. And you start thinking about how this unfolds. You know, it starts with not having that affection for Jesus that should be there. And then you, you, you move on and you're doing something good and that's distracting even further so. I don't know exactly which comes first, chicken or the egg. But then you're distracted further so. And then before you know it, uh, you're not being satisfied by the serving. Because by the way, serving disconnected from Christ is not going to satisfy And so now you're disconnected and now you move to the place where you're bothered that other people aren't sharing your worries because they're busy focusing on Jesus. And so they're not sharing your anxieties, to use the word. And so now you're bothered by that and now you're bitter toward them. And before you know it, you're telling God what to do. You're on on a spiritual crash course. And I so wish this wasn't real life. I so wish you didn't know anybody like this. I so wish that right now you weren't thinking of people's names that you know. Spiritually crashing and burning. Here here we have Jesus intervening. Graciously, we're going to see that. But left alone? I wish this never happened. My friends, it does happen. It does happen. And if you want to reverse engineer it, maybe it might help you understand a little bit better about why we sometimes get so bitter. Let's, let's work the recipe backward. I'm in this empty state of mad at God. How did I get here? We know what we can ultimately trace it back to. And it wasn't because I was so devoted and committed and in love and communing with my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's how we keep from having this happen. Unattended, it's a disaster. Again, I don't have a magical view of preaching. Um, I don't think I have a Messiah complex. Maybe we all do, and that shows our sinfulness. But I do think, I do think, disconnected from the regular, faithful exposition of the Word of Christ, I think you're in danger. Pastor Chris Peterson, one of our pastors here, he's helped me to appreciate that even more, and he he brings that up rather frequently. 
even having a burden for people who serve regularly and wanting to encourage them to make sure they're a part of what happens when the amidst the congregation thing happens. We're not designed to live on islands all by ourselves. It's certainly a way to help with looking at other people and why aren't they doing what I'm doing and I'm mad and I'm bitter and I'm upset and I'm mad at God. Sometimes what you need is that Word of God like I think it's Jeremiah who describes as like a hammer and and to, to smash that hard-heartedness that you're experiencing and and make it soft. I know I need that. In some ways, I wish this was a pastor's conference because I'd feel more freer. Uh, More freer? Is that right? I don't know. I would feel freer. And I would be saying, pastors, do what you can to cultivate a high view of the Word of God and make sure you also cultivate a high view of the preaching of the Word of God and cultivate a high view of Christ and help people to see that while Jesus is bodily at the right hand of the Father, He didn't leave us as orphans and He sent His Spirit. And Hebrews chapter 2 has us to know that He's in the midst of the congregation telling the brothers, the brethren, the cistern if you'd like, about God. He's teaching. So don't get a big fat chest and a puffed up, arrogant attitude you're a servant a clay pot right but you need to know that it's not just a bible study and your people need you to know that it's not just a bible study let's move to number four and wrap things up number four we learn that jesus is a compassionate corrector He is a compassionate corrector. He cares. That's why he does this. I'm so thankful for this. I hope you are too. If you're feeling corrected this morning, um, just know that Jesus is compassionate. Look at verse 41 where it says, uh, quoting Jesus, Martha, Martha. Could he not have just lambasted her? Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm God incarnate. Are you a total crazy person? How dare you? Do you know who you're talking to? You're such an idiot. And all that would be true. And all the angels would say, Hallelujah, right? It would be totally true. He could dress her down six ways to sideways. And he doesn't because he cares. And he affectionately, with the repeated emphasis, personal, Martha, Martha. You are anxious. It could be translated worried. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. 
I'm super thankful for that. I want you to be super thankful for that. Martha, Martha. Don't you realize we're talking about what lasts forever when it comes to priorities? There are other priorities that are legitimate priorities, but we're talking about what lasts forever. Don't miss this. Let me help you is what he's saying. Thankfully, as we look at this, thankfully, as we look at this, we can acknowledge that our salvation is not dependent upon our being good Marys. It's not. Our salvation is dependent upon the perfect work of Jesus. And so be moved this morning. If you feel, feel, feel guilty, wear the shoe. You feel encouraged, wear the shoe. But realize that ultimately at the end of the day, salvation is based upon what Jesus has done. Neither, neither of these women are perfect. Mary's doing the right thing. Martha's doing the wrong thing. When you leave here today, I hope you're resting in a perfect Savior named Jesus, which motivates you to be, yes, more like Mary. But I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I don't have to be perfect in my devotion to Jesus for God to accept me. Or God would never accept me and He would never accept you. So remember that. Because God has accepted you if you've trusted in His Son. You've been accepted. And now you want to do the right thing and you do want to be less like Martha and you do want to be more like Mary. But remember, both of these were sinful women. He's going to go to the cross and pay for their sins. And they're going to rest and trust in Him. Father, thank You so much for for Your Word and for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His kindness and His compassion. May we value Him like we've not valued Him before. We're thankful for these personal interactions that He had with people. We're thankful to see the contrast between Jesus and other religious leaders who wouldn't have given two women like this the time of day. And Jesus cares about them. He cares about them enough to sit and to teach them and to engage with them and interact with them. We're thankful that Jesus is a great and compassionate Savior. Help us to be like Him as we rest in Him. In Jesus' name, amen.